and welcome to episode 27 of the Unmasking and the Abuser podcast. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan. If this is your first listen, I should tell you I'm a social psychologist, a relationship consultant, and an expert in domestic abuse and violence, both prevention and response. Now, it's been a while since my last podcast. In that time, I've moved to a new city and a new state. Unfortunately, thanks to weird circumstances and very disorganized movers, I had to move twice in a period of two months. I'll admit it also took me more than a month just to unpack the second time, and I'm still getting settled in. We've also had some serious weather events and other issues that have challenged all of us. But don't worry, I'm not going to spend this episode complaining about my moves. Instead, I'm going to talk about something that's very exciting for me. Just a week ago, I recorded the audible version of my book, But He Says He Loves Me. Providing this knowledge in a new format will make the information accessible in a whole new way. It can reach those who've already read the book, as well as those who want to read the book, and those interested in the information, but not necessarily big fans of reading. Let's talk about it this episode. Are you ready? You're listening to the Unmasking and the Abuser podcast with Dr. Dina McMillan. If this isn't your first time here, I've often mentioned the importance of learning new information by being exposed to it in more than one context. Even if you've read my book, But He Says He Loves Me, it can be incredibly useful to also hear the information spoken directly to you either through headphones or through a speaker system. The book was originally published some years ago, yet I believe the knowledge in the book is still highly relevant. First, the basic psychology of abusers has not changed. The insights in the book are designed to help you spot and understand the moves made by real-life abusers. It shows you simply and clearly what they do, to draw you in and trap you in a toxic relationship. Second, it's critical for you to get how these men think. If you have a copy of the book, you'll notice the book is written in two voices. The left-hand pages are in the voice of a seasoned abuser as he instructs other men how to use the most effective manipulation tricks. The right-hand pages are in my voice as I describe what's happening and the best ways to protect yourself. I can't emphasize enough how important those left-hand pages are to really understanding this issue. Written at the top are the words, The Abuser's Handbook. Now, that was actually the working title of the book until my publisher changed it to Buddy Says He Loves Me. When I wrote The Abuser's Half, I had to reach down deep to channel a realistic blend of the abusive men that I'd met. They were incredibly open about their actions, their plans, and their driving principles. They knew who they were 
and were very upfront about what they felt, believed, and were willing to do. It's far more powerful and resonates more deeply in your mind when you actually hear someone say, I'm going to do this, or you should do that because you'll get what you want. It goes into the emotional and primal parts of your brain, the sections responsible for your choices in relationships. It has a much bigger impact than simply reading or saying, this group of individuals do this or that. Communicating it that way keeps the knowledge at a distance, making it rational and logical. That's the part of your mind that steps aside when you're interacting with a real person and imagining the possibility of perhaps being in a relationship with them. It's the reason you have 20-20 hindsight after you break up with someone. Your rational mind didn't choose that person and probably would have noticed the warning signs of trouble. It's too bad that part of your brain went to sleep while the emotional and sexual parts of your brain and body took over. You need the knowledge in the parts of the brain that rule when you're involved with someone and you're experiencing all those complexities of feeling and senses. That way you can understand what's happening while it's happening and make better choices. You don't have to wait until after you break up to have clarity. When I was interacting with all of those abusers, they revealed who they were because they knew I could never tell on them. Whether we had a lengthy single interview or repeated sessions, unless these men threatened to kill themselves or their partner while they were in the office, I was obligated to keep their secrets for the rest of my life. They knew it too. Predators always know the rules. Even in Australia, where the law isn't as protective of confidentiality, the abusers I met with thought the same way and didn't hesitate to fully disclose. Some people call this the CSI effect, a mistaken understanding of science or the law as a result of watching too much American TV. By now you've heard me say the similarities between these men are astounding, regardless of their differences in age, social class, race, religion, education, or nationality. When I wrote the men's section of the book, I combined the shared perspectives and outlook of the more than 600 men I'd spoken with at that time. I simply removed the bad language and anything that could possibly identify a specific individual, and I just let it come through. To do that, I had to go into the zone. You've heard that expression, I'm sure. I imagined I was one of them and not me at all. My current publisher for the Audible book told me something people who know me have also said. He said he couldn't hear my voice at all on those left-hand pages. That means I did what was needed. That insight into the minds of these men is so crucial. It's there because I wasn't meeting victims or survivors who had any idea 
what was really going on in the heads of their abusers. They didn't know, even after all they'd been through, that the actions of these guys from their earliest encounters were a performance. These men work hard to maneuver and deceive, and most of the time, they're highly successful. Even after leaving, survivors weren't aware their relationship had been based on manipulation from start to finish. The small number of victims and survivors who recognized there was manipulation all thought it happened later, after things began to go obviously wrong in the relationship. They still were unaware the tricks and ploys were being set up from their first encounters, or even before, from the moment the abuser spotted his target and began planning his approach. Even more worrying to me, the targets and victims weren't, and often aren't, aware the abuser's moves after the breakup are also temporary and a performance. Abusers simply return to the well-practiced maneuvers they used at the beginning. Now armed with intimate information on their victims' hopes and dreams, vulnerabilities, they can use their detailed knowledge to repair the web that was torn when she exited. Soon they're able to pull her back in and shut the door behind her. The third major point why the book is still relevant is that the information in Buddy Says He Loves Me still represents a total paradigm shift in addressing abusive relationships. It's not another book on what to do after everything goes wrong or a lecture on the moods and behavioral cycles you can expect once you're in a committed relationship with an abuser. This book starts much earlier in the process. It gives you a shield you can use from the moment you meet a potential abuser. It strives to get this important knowledge into the hands of the most likely potential victims, teen girls and women. Books like Why Does He Do That? by Lundy Bancroft, and more recently, See What You Made Me Do? by Jess Hill, are definitely worthwhile reads. They expose the grim psychology of abusers in a way that I also detail in my seminars and workshops. This in-depth understanding of the process of brainwashing as used by abusers and the deeply disturbed and dysfunctional mindset that drives these men to act that way is incredibly important. It's also crucial to know you're not alone if you've experienced an abusive relationship. There are literally dozens of books relaying the experiences of individual victims and survivors. Some are stories of eventual triumph, like one of my favorites called Broken to be Beautiful by Zena Shambri. Yet Buddy Says He Loves Me and my Unmasking the Abuser Education program uncover how entitled and justified these men feel about deceiving, using, and maneuvering their partners into these terrible relationships. And yes, they know they're terrible for their partners. 
but that's only a part of what we do differently. The book and program don't just expound on what abusers achieve. We excessively and easily detail exactly how they do it, step by step, beginning at the real beginning in the selection process. You'll remember that's the strategic planning phase when the abuser hones in on a likely new partner and targets her for attention. Without a clear grasp on exactly how it's done, you're still more likely to identify the warning signs as hindsight after you've been captured in a relationship with an abuser. My regular listeners know my aim is very different. I want to give you the ability to see it while it's happening. And you need not only to see it, but also recognize how it makes you feel, why your instincts may not warn you, and how other people may encourage you to turn off your brain and plunge in. Without that additional sensory understanding, your vulnerability level is still too high. Your likelihood of getting involved with an abuser, even if it's something you swore you'd never do or never do again, is still too sharp. That's not okay. I want you to be safe and stay safe. There's awareness in the book and the Unmasking the Abuser program that's also needed. They place a big spotlight on the most common and effective ways abusers get you to emotionally bond with them in the early days. These guys aren't satisfied with just getting you to obey. They're compelled to get you to trust them and to love them, to need them, to respect them, to rely on them, to prioritize them above all others. You need to be shown how they do that in the beginning, but also how this morphs after you become emotionally and practically involved, and then again what happens after you commit to the relationship. This awareness makes it possible for you to recognize the tactics when they're used on you or on someone you love at every stage of this sinister process. You know, people sometimes ask me if abusers are eaten up with guilt because they know how much they hurt the women who love them. No, not at all. These guys are proud of their ability to coerce, control, and convince. Their moves include being able to get their victims to feel sorry for them, to believe they'll change, and to eventually take responsibility for whatever the abuser does wrong. The abuser's target, the woman who soon becomes his victim once the relationship's established, is put through an emotional roller coaster that increases her connection to the abuser Brain and body. I say brain because we're actually hardwired to be attracted and tied in to intensity, something the abusers offer in spades. Along with that bonding, the target soon gets caught up in the need to prove to the hypercritical abuser that she's worthy. 
If she doesn't exit as quickly as possible, it takes very little time for the target to become the victim. And the victim's relationship with the abuser takes over her life. He soon becomes her life. This is all by his design. By purposely confusing her and reducing both her self-esteem and self-worth, the target misses the abuser's real intention to connect her to him emotionally and practically while completely dominating her so she'll stay regardless of how she's treated. The hundreds of abusers I interviewed and counseled only claimed to feel guilty when their partner was in the room or when they were trying to convince law enforcement they would never hurt her again, they'd change. When they were alone with me, they admitted they believed they were justified in acting the way they did because they deserved to get the kind of relationship they believed they needed. Any harm their partner experienced was ultimately her fault, even if her only crime was not being able to identify and resist his clever tricks. Abusers' only real concerns were that the victim stayed in the relationship and that any outside interference was minimized. They'd do a lot just to be able to continue conducting their relationship with the complete freedom they craved. By the way, abusers' clever maneuvers are also pretty effective on other people, not just their romantic partners. I've lost count of the abusers who've laughed or sneered when they told me what they were planning to say and do to convince their victim, her family, law enforcement, the judge, or the social worker running their behavior change program that they were really sorry and basically harmless. They'd connive to convince these people they deserved little or no punishment after they'd hurt their victim. They'd play it out that way too, sometimes right in front of me, knowing I wasn't able to intervene. Their performance was unfortunately effective more often than it wasn't. Now, returning to the Audible book, something unexpected happened when I was working with my publisher to find the right voice for the male half of the book. A bit of backstory. I don't believe women need my help if they decide to get involved with a guy who's obviously angry all the time and yells at the server on their first date. Where my work is needed is when the guy seems appealing. After all, there are so many social influences trying to sell us abusers, predators, and even psychopaths as the ultimate romantic partner. Look at the leads in Fifty Shades of Grey, Crazy Stupid Love, and Twilight, just to name a few. These books and films feature hyper-controlling men with serious psychological issues who manipulate vulnerable women into having relationships with them. Yet they're held up as the ideal because these men are all so handsome or because they have money. Really? We haven't moved past these self-destructive archetypes for women? 
Haven't enough women discussed and written about how that Beauty and the Beast relationship is actually harmful in real life? As is Sleeping Beauty? And most of the other fairy tales, where the female lead goes off with a guy because he's good-looking or high-ranking or charming. Well, we haven't learned the lesson. This is a serious issue that continues to pervade our culture. And that's where the real danger lies. Seemingly appealing men who are skilled manipulators that women trust and feel attracted to because we've been conditioned to ignore or overlook our risk. In producing the audiobook, I wanted to capture on this issue. To do that, I wanted a voice for the male portion of the book who sounds very alluring, with a deep, harmonious, sexy voice. Here's some more insider knowledge, my lovely podcast audience. I was having a lot of trouble finding a voice that fit what I imagined for the knowledgeable abuser in the book. My publisher sent me samples of guys, but they either sounded like rough smokers or they obviously worked doing radio ads and had that over-enthusiastic inflection you hear when someone's trying to sell you a car or a new cleaning product. I was a little discouraged, so I put it on the back burner and put my energy into unpacking the chaos that was my new apartment. Now that was painful. One afternoon, I was sitting and sorting some boxes in the living room and streamed one of my favorite British dramas to listen to as I was unpacking. It's called Foil's War. Have you ever seen it? It was really popular and shown in the U.S. as well on PBS. It was on from 2002 until 2015. In the episode I was streaming, the three main characters were talking to each other. I was looking down and figuring where to put some of the stuff I thought was a good idea to bring with me, and I heard the actor who played Sergeant Milner, Anthony Howell, talking to another character. Without looking up, I thought to myself, wow, what a voice. He'd be perfect for the book. Now, most people don't hear a popular actor on television and one who lives in another country and think, Oh, let me get him to read my book. Anyone who knows me, though, isn't surprised about what I did next. It's another thing I set store by. Not assuming I won't get something, so I talk myself out of even trying. If I have a goal, I let the other people involved tell me no. Because sometimes, maybe, they say yes. I looked up Anthony Howell's management in the UK and sent his manager an email about Buddy Says He Loves Me and my Unmasking the Abuser education program. I was surprised. His manager responded quickly and asked me to call her in London, which I did. Turns out she's someone who really understands the importance of protecting women from abusive relationships. We discussed it and she got Anthony to come on board. As my listeners, I'm going to give you a little sneak preview so you can hear for yourself why I chose him to do this. 
Now, about the little segment I'm going to play that's read by Anthony Howell. It's quite short, and it's actually a poem from the beginning of the book on the abuser's side. When I was working with abusers, I was incredibly disturbed by their mindset. They felt completely free to lie and deceive and use women to serve their needs. They thought it was amusing. It made them feel powerful. I wrote a poem at that time about their way of thinking, and I called it Smooth Talk. A few years later, when I wrote But He Says He Loves Me, I included the poem at the beginning of the abuser's section of the book. I thought it represented the thinking of the kind of men the book exposes. I'm going to play it for you now so you can hear not only what kind of men we're discussing, but also why I was willing to jump through hoops to get a talented actor to perform the abuser's role in the book. So here's Anthony Howell reading Smooth Talk. Smooth Talk. These women, you know, they'll talk till they're blue, while desire is pulsing and rising in you. So say whatever she wants you to. Because a man's got to do what a man's got to do. So tell her anything. Tell her you'll stay for the rest of your life. And of course you're going to leave your wife. As your hand slides gently between her thighs. Because your needs are piercing as sharp as a knife. So tell her anything. Say you'll respect her when all this is done. As you plunge deep inside her, say, You are the one. Soon it'll be over, and then you can run. Cause to her, this was love. To you, this was fun. So, tell her anything. Now do you get what I mean? The fictional man in the poem is saying terrible things, but doing so in a pleasing fashion. That's the kind of maneuvering the abusers do in a nutshell. Finding ways to make their domination, cruelty, and takeover of your life seem fascinating on the surface. Distracting you with promises they never intend to keep while also showing you what they're really about if you pay attention to the details. When the studio sent me the complete set of chapters performed by Anthony Howell, I was stunned. He does an amazing job. But the mindset of these guys is so sinister. If you've read the book, you'll remember I cautioned the reader to go through the right-hand pages the information from my perspective before reading the left-hand pages spoken by the fictional abuser. It's confronting to read how these men think and behave. I know that. That's why I strongly recommended the reader go through my side first. If you've experienced a relationship with an abuser in real life, it can be even more challenging for you. But listening to it in that deep, smooth voice, oh my, I had to do something that I needed to do when I wrote it. 
listen to it in segments, then go walk it off. As powerful as the written word is, the spoken word is even more so. When I did the pre-recording Zoom meeting with Anthony Howell, we talked about it. He's a well-trained actor, and it shows in how he performed his section of the book. He knew he needed some insights because subtle perceptions can come through in a performance. It's why I can usually tell very early in a murder mystery who did it and why. If the actor knows, there are subtle indicators in their speech and nonverbal behavior. By the way, some directors have realized this and have begun keeping the actors in the dark about who did it until they actually film those segments. I read somewhere they did that with the popular show Broadchurch. It's why the guilty character doesn't give it away. Now, back to Anthony Howell. He was stunned that some men actually behave this way. I think that speaks well of him, don't you? I felt I had to apologize. And I warned him he was going to need a long walk and a hot shower after he recorded his section. I also gave him a few pointers. He wasn't allowed to feel self-conscious or guilty about what his character was advocating. He needed to feel righteous and even proud. He had to view his actions as something all men should emulate. And he had to perceive his target and victim as inferior and even as property. Now, you may wonder why I made the mindset of the male abuser so cold and conniving. After all, part of their psychology is that they don't like being alone and actively seek relationships where they're loved. They put enormous effort into getting that. I did it the way it's portrayed in the book because it's true. They may want love, but they want domination and complete control even more. They want to strike out at their partner for making them feel vulnerable. They want to gain at her expense. If anything, abusers are actually much more cruel than I portrayed in the book. I didn't bother including all of the bad language and the terrible terms they used to describe their partners and women in general. I'm telling you now, when you get the book and listen to the abusers part, it's still going to put goosebumps on your arms. And that's as it should be. This is one of the most important reasons the book, But He Says He Loves Me, is essential. If you're going to keep yourself and your family safe from these guys, you need to fully grasp their view of the world. Reading how they think offers real insight. Hearing it performed takes it to a whole new level of understanding. They're mean. They're entitled. And they're as cunning as snakes. They're also actors. Their skill level ranges from good to brilliant. If you're not careful, they'll pull you in with fairy tale promises, make you doubt yourself by highlighting all of your mistakes and flaws, and get your heart racing and your stomach clenching. The intensity that's part of getting involved with an abuser is enticing. 
their moodiness and their tendency to one day push you away, the next day pull you as close as possible, plays real games with your mind. Unpredictable benefits, known as intermittent reward, is the best way to get you caught up and even addicted to the abuser's presence and approval. Your own brain and body will facilitate the abuser's efforts in capturing you if you're not careful. That's why you need to explore this issue in as many ways as possible. You need to get emotional about it. You need to do things that make your heart race and your mouth dry, like listening to the book. You need all parts of your brain to have the knowledge it needs to shield you from danger in real life. Playing it safe with books and TV shows that keep the information at a distance won't do it. You need that courage, that superpower you've been building up. That's what's going to save you. Before we end this, I have two things to tell you. First, the audio version of Buddy Says He Loves Me will be out soon. I'll let you know as soon as we launch it. We'll probably host the launch virtually as well, and Anthony Howell has agreed to be involved. You can ask me questions and even ask him how he handled performing such a despicable character. Second, it's been long enough since I wrote But He Says He Loves Me that my new publisher wants me to write an updated book. I've already started it, and it should be finished within the next few months. Like the first one, it's going to be relatively short. It's also going to contain the type of information I've shared here on my podcasts. Less emphasis on the broader science of abuse and more key knowledge that informs and protects you in real life. I'm including that short document that everyone has been asking me for, the one that lists the selection criteria used by abusers and contains a description of their most popular and effective tactics. In addition, I'm discussing how changing technology and recent events have made protecting yourself even more vital. What I won't try to do is channel the abuser like I did in the original book. That's still so accurate and compelling, I don't think I could do it justice. That's another reason the first book will still be necessary even after the new book is released. Now, if you have any questions or comments about this episode, the new audiobook, or the updated version of Buddy Says He Loves Me, don't hesitate to contact me at unmaskingpodcast at gmail.com. That's unmaskingpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan.